0: So today, Romans chapter 2, we're finally in Romans chapter 2 after four weeks in Romans chapter 1. At this rate, we'll be in Romans till fall, and that's okay. Because there's so much great stuff in here, I I don't want to rush through it. And and I want to begin today with these words. Um, God loves us right where we are, but He also loves us too much to leave us there. He wants us to experience the highest life, the greatest life, abundant life. And and he understands, obviously, from a Heavenly Father perspective, that that means that there's going to be times in our life where there's going to be things that that should be removed from our lives in order to experience that. That There's certain things we need to get rid of, and then other times there's going to be things that we need to add to our lives in order to experience that. That, that abundant life that Jesus wants us to have. Sometimes it's even just being willing to change our perspective about things or to change the way we view certain things or certain individuals. And so we have to be willing for God to to do that work, as we even sang about today, sort of being surrendered to God and letting Him do the work He wants to do in our lives. And God always wants to do a work in His people. Every Sunday and Tuesday and every day that we are alive, God always wants to do a work in us. And and in order to do that, God lays out for us certain motivations, if you will. Because as we talked about last week, if I want to do the will of God, if I want to do what God is asking me to do, then he will give me all the power that I need to do it. And that should be encouraging for us. We're never going to be in a place in our lives where we want to do God's will, where we want to do what God is leading us to do, but we don't have the power to do that. Paul says last week, oh, no, every child of God is truly a child of God. You have that power within you. You are going to be empowered by God to do his will, whatever he asks you to do. But sometimes it's not the power that's lacking. Sometimes, honestly, it's the want to like like anything in 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 life i may have the capability of doing something but do i really have the want to to do it and and you know especially on on mother's day and thinking about that you know as parents you know that's some of the things that we struggle with to instill in our kids is not so much maybe the fact that they don't realize they have the capability to do it but do they even have the will to do it do they have the want to to do it. And so we're going to see today, how, how does God handle that? Because we've already seen God is not going to force us to do something. He's not going to drag us down the road. He wants us to go. But what he does try to do is to draw us. What he does try to do is move us is to, to lead us as, as a shepherd would the sheep. But the this, this question is many times is, is our heart, is our mind, is our life in the place where we're willing to, to do that? Or are we hard, stubborn, resistant, refusing to change, if you will, and to go God's way? And we've already seen in our study of the book of Romans that in the universe that God created, that He is the greatest reality of, that He created this universe with a right and wrong. and And with that, He's going to say, look, if you do what's right, here's what happens. If you choose to do what's wrong, here's here's what's going to happen. And so he's giving us certain motivations, if you will, for doing the right thing and for being willing to sort of follow him and change when we need to change and maybe add things to our life when we need to add them. And that's what this passage in Romans chapter two is all about, because God here like a parent, is a perfect model of a balanced approach to moving and changing with people. And and how does that all come about? Just like a parent should have a balanced approach in their relationship with their children, God has a balanced approach with us. When he wants to motivate, when he wants to inspire, sometimes he uses negative motivation. But sometimes he uses positive motivation. And we're going to see that today. And I don't want to focus so much on the negative motivation simply because Paul doesn't place the negative motivation that God hangs out there as the primary thing that God uses in our life to move us, to change us, to get us willing to go his way. He primarily uses positive motivation. But with that said... Paul is laying out here in the first 16 verses of Romans chapter 2 that God is going to use the prospect of future accountability. That there is a day where every human being is going to have to answer to God. There is a judgment coming, if you will. Now, please hear me. That's going to look really different for a child of God than someone who's not a child of God. So let's, please, let's not lump that all in together, but the principle is the same. That, that even though it's going to look quite different for a child of God than it does someone who doesn't have a relationship with God, the Bible still does teach there's still going to be a future accountability. There's still going to be a day we answer before God for how we've lived our lives. There's still going to be a day in a sense of evaluation Of the way we've lived our lives. And if you're here today and you don't have Christ, then again, that looks a little bit different. And Paul here in these 16 verses is laying out some principles that God's going to use. That he wants us to always be aware about as we live our earthly lives. Hoping that if nothing else, that maybe even that at times will get us to be willing to follow his way rather than saying no i refuse to change i just want to go through these quickly you want to study them more in depth obviously i'd love for you to but i want to begin in verse two where he says now we know that god's judgment is in accordance with truth an unchanging standard god's rules if you will and we've already seen in the book of romans that's the reality God is the greatest reality of the universe. In the universe that God created, there is a right and wrong and that this universe is governed by God's rules, His unchanging standard. And one day we're going to be evaluated, judged by that unchanging standard. Not by our rules, not by what we think should be, but by God's rules. And God doesn't care if you don't even think that there is such a thing, or if you just ignore and all that, that's fine. That doesn't make it any less real. There's going to be a judgment one day, and it's going to be based on God's unchanging standard, his word, his rules. Secondly, verse three, he tells us, do you think that somewhere along the line you're going to escape God's judgment or avoid it? As if it's avoidable? No, not at all. The writer of Hebrews says, It is appointed unto men once to die and after this judgment. There is no human being that's going to fail to appear before God in that way. Now again, please hear me. A child of God appearing before God and someone who's not a child of God It's going to look really different and we're going to get to that if you hang in there with me in the coming weeks because I've got some exciting stuff to share with Christians, especially that I think will just so just change your heart. And I'm excited about those things, but right now we're in this passage. And so he's saying no one's going to avoid this third up in verse six. He will reward each one according to his works. Now, again, that's how God's going to judge based upon our works. Now, again, for the Christian, that doesn't mean he's not teaching that we work to get to heaven, that we work to be saved. What it does mean is that when God evaluates our life, it's going to be based on what we do, our works. Fourth, verse 11 there is no partiality or favoritism. In fact, Paul's very strong here in the original. He says, absolutely no favoritism with God. God's not going to treat one person differently than another person. Unlike today, God's not going to take bribes. Uh, he's not going to be manipulated in any way. It doesn't matter what someone's social standing is or whatever. There is equal footing At the cross, an equal footing with God, there's no favoritism, no partiality. It will be an absolutely fair and just evaluation or judgment. Next, verse 12. He talks about those uh, sinning apart from the law and also those sinning under the law. And simply what Paul's saying here in verse 12 is that God will judge people according to the light they possess. Whether they have the law, as the Jew did, whether they don't have the law in Paul's day, as many Gentiles did, God's not going to judge based upon what we don't have or don't know. But what he is going to do is judge on what we do know and what light we do possess. And obviously not everyone possesses the same amount of light. We're going to get to that a little bit more next week. Then in verse 13. He talks about those who hear the law and those who do the law. And he's simply saying here, knowing what is right isn't enough. That's not going to cut it to say, God, I knew what was the right thing to do. God's going to say, well, yeah, that's great. But did you do what you knew was the right thing to do? You can hear the parent in God here, right? See? And then in verse 15, he's also going to say, look. I placed a law, if you will, in your heart and therefore no human being is going to be able to say, well, I didn't know all that was contained, you know, in your word about what I should or shouldn't do. God's going to then go back to conscience because that's what he's talking about here. God says, I placed an internal moral compass in every human being, an instinctive knowledge of right and wrong that alerted and warned as well as commended or convicted in each and every situation. And God's going to say, did you listen to that internal witness, your human conscience? We're going to be evaluated based on that as well. And then finally, in verse 16, He talks about being judged according to the secrets of the human heart. And what Paul's saying there is, look, the bottom line is God's going to look at everybody's heart. And that based upon that kind of level, nobody's going to fool God because we can fool other people outwardly. But God looks beyond the external appearance of things and, and people just sort of playing games and all of that. And where God's focus has always been and always going to be, even in that day of judgment, is going to be on our heart. Where's our heart at with God? And that's something only you as an individual, me as an individual, and God really knows where our heart is at with him. So Paul lays this all out. And Paul says, look, yes, in the universe whose greatest reality is God, God has laid out certain rules and certain, you know, parameters, if you will. And and God, again, loves us right where we are, but loves us too much to leave us there because he wants us to experience a great eternity, but also a great here and now. He wants us to experience the highest quality of life, abundant life that Jesus came to truly give his followers. And one of the things that God lays out there for all of us is this future prospect of accountability to God, that even as his children, he's hoping in some way, maybe that would motivate us a little bit to go, you know what? The thing that God's talking to me about that I need to add to my life, I really need to do that. And and the thing that I need to get rid of that God's talking to me about, I need to lay that aside. Or the the way that God wants me to start thinking differently or whatever, I, I need to start adopting that practice. Because I'm going to be answering to him for that one day. There is accountability and accountability is good for all of us. Again, just like a parent, a good parent needs to make sure that the children in their charge are held accountable for what they do. You see, let me say this on Mother's Day. I don't want to take too much time away from what we're really getting into, but I believe, and this is my opinion, that parenting could be, if not the, hardest job God ever gives human beings to do. But I want to encourage parents with this. Again, God never asks us to do something that, first of all, He won't empower us to do and won't give us the wherewithal to do it. And you as parents who maybe are at a point in your life where you're exasperated, frustrated, all of that with raising children, you need to be encouraged with this truth. God has given you everything you need to be a good parent in this book. He he hasn't left you out there to be a parent without his instruction manual of how to do it. The problem lots of times is like a lot of these instruction manuals. They just sort of sit around and we never really read them. You know, it's like the instruction manual for a car. Anybody ever really read through that? Sorry, Stephen. Where is that? My son sort they just sort of sit there and then we have, oh yeah, I guess I should have read how the thing works or whatever. God gives us this and, and, and I just say this out of love. Too many Christian parents today are being influenced by the psychology of the world and by the teaching of even so-called Christian people about how to parent that doesn't really line up with what the Bible says. We should do as parents. Get back to what the Bible says. Get into the word of God. You'll find plenty of principles to guide you in your parenting. So that's one thing. The second thing, though, Paul wants to reveal to us is the reason why God wants us to change when we need to change or add something or change our perspective or whatever is it's not just about following rules. It's not like God is this cosmic killjoy who just, you know, sent us all these rules, if you will. I'm calling them rules today, principles, precepts for living. Just because, you know, he felt like it. He does it because he's saying in this, just like a parent would to the child, if you follow this, It will only make things better for you. It will only enhance your life. Your life will only be better. If you choose not to, you're going to make it hard on yourself. And one of the big areas here that's affected by the rules of God is relationships. And so God is saying to all of us, not only this future accountability should be a motivation or inspiration for us to follow God, But if we really want meaningful, long-lasting, healthy, safe relationships in our life, then we will follow God's rules about relationships. Because that's the only way we will really have great relationships in our life. Both with Him on a vertical level and with others on a horizontal level. When we go our own way, that's when we leave in our wake a bunch of broken relationships. And that's where many people are today. That's why they are in a bad place, because they've looked back over years of their life, no matter how long they've been alive. And what are they seeing behind them? A bunch of broken relationships. And God is saying, look, do these relationships my way, all of you. And you will find that relationships can be a good thing rather than a bad thing. And and where I get this is I want you to go back actually to Romans 1 to what we talked about last week. And I want you to see all these character qualities or lack of character qualities and then think through with me, do these things enhance, build relationships, or do they destroy and break relationships? I'm going to begin reading in verse 29 of Romans 1. They are filled with every kind of unrighteousness, wickedness, covetousness, malice. They are rife with envy, murder, strife, deceit, hostility. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, contrivers of all sorts of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, covenant breakers, heartless, ruthless. Let me ask you, did those things Build relationships or do they break down relationships when they are present in our lives? They break, they break them down. They destroy relationships. And so again, God's not just saying these things because he's trying to, you know, control our lives or be a killjoy. He's saying, you really want quality relationships in your life? Then you'll begin to live relationships the way I laid it out because I created you. And I created you to live in relationship with each other, and I'm the all-wise God. I think I know what I'm talking about here. Again, sounds very parental, doesn't it? You're trying to talk to a child, say, I know more than you. You need to be willing to listen to me. And, you know, we, we think about that even as imperfect human beings who are called to parent imperfect human beings. This is the perfect God who is all-wise Who's saying to us, don't you trust me in this, that I know how to have great relationships and I built you for that. And if you just follow my principles, my precepts, my rules, your relationships will go much better. But if you ignore my word and my principles, you're going to struggle in relationships and you're going to look back over your life and you're going to see a bunch of broken relationships in your past. And so that's one of the motivations. That's one of the inspirations. Not just future accountability, but relationships. That I think down deep, based on God's word, we all really want, but many people today don't even know how to get there. How to have relationships and how to relate with each other in a biblical way. We're all going to have our struggles with each other. We've got to learn to work through things And do it in a Christ-like, biblical way. And again, it's all here. It's all here in this great word from God. Another motivation, though, is reward. Notice what Paul says up in verse 7 of chapter 2. He's saying, well, at the end of actually verse 6, or in verse 6, he says he will reward each one according to his works. And folks, that's not just negative, that's positive. He's not just going to pay back those who've done wicked, evil things. He's going to reward and, and recompense those who've done good. And he goes on to talk about that from verse 7 through verse 10. And so what Paul is saying to the Romans and to us is, if nothing else moves you or motivates you or inspires you to follow God's path and will for your life, could it be that prospect of reward? And again, Paul's going to tell us here, it's not just future reward, that God is also going to reward us right here and now, if we would just be willing to follow him. It does pay to follow God, maybe not in a financial way, but it certainly pays to follow God. So notice what he says, verse seven, eternal life. And again, Defined by the Bible, that's not just a quantity of life, that is a quality of life. That is abundant life, that's highest plane type of living. Eternal life to those who by perseverance in good works seek glory and honor and immortality. Not their own glory, God's glory. Honor speaks of what is of worth. And of great value and immortality speaks of things that last, things that are unending, things that are eternal. He's saying, do you realize the reward in focusing your life on these things? But then he says, verse eight, but wrath and anger to those who live in selfish ambition, those who desire to be number one, those who live for personal gratification and self-fulfillment and do not obey the truth, but follow unrighteousness. There will be affliction. That word means heavy weights. Remember what Jesus said, and we talked about this last week. He said, if you follow me, you come unto me. You'll find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. There's no heavy weights involved. But as we talked about last week, I can choose to be a prisoner of Jesus Christ and truly be free. Or I can choose to be a prisoner of something or someone else and literally become a prisoner and be in chains. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here. That's the outcome when we don't follow God. And then he goes on to say, not just affliction, but distress. Interesting, that word distress speaks of tightening chains. And again, we talked about this last week. Feeling like I got a boa constrictor wrapping around me more and more and more. Instead of me being on top of things, this thing's now got a grip and hold on me and I can't control it. It's got me. Paul says that's the inevitable consequence. You see, that's the reward, if you will, for choosing to ignore God and his word. And then he goes on to say, there will be affliction and distress on everyone who does evil on the Jew first, also to the Greek. Again, no partiality with God, but verse 10, but glory an exalted status and honor and peace, soul serenity for everyone who does good for the Jew first and also to the Greek. So he's saying, guys, there's a reward from God. When we do what's right, when we follow God's path, are we willing to listen to God, be moved by God, be willing to change and not be so hard-hearted and resistant to what we know God wants to do in our life? Whether he wants to add us to add something, whether he wants us to get rid of something, whether he wants to change our viewpoint, our perspective, our mindset, our way of thinking about something, are we open to it? And Paul's now given us three motivations from God. First of all, accountability. Second of all, he says there's relationships involved in doing this right. And you either have healthy, safe, good, sustained, lasting relationships, or you're going to have broken relationships in your path. Don't you want these kind of relationships? Then do it my way. Then third, reward There's going to be reward for doing these things God's way, both now and throughout eternity. But the most important one to Paul, the one that even through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God placed above all others, is what I want to leave us with today and what I want to focus on for these next few minutes we have together. It's found in verse 4 and verse 5 of Romans chapter 2. Paul says, or do you have contempt? That word means to devalue or to think little of. Do you have contempt for the wealth, the abundant treasure? And what is that abundant treasure? How am I rich and wealthy? Paul says, well, are you the recipient of God's kindness? His goodness, you could translate that word in the Greek. You could also translate that word gentleness. You could also even translate it tender concern. It's a great word for how God treats us. That's a great picture of many mothers as well. He says, do you not value God's goodness in your life? That's a treasure, Paul said. Then he says, do we not value God's forbearance with us? That word means self-restraint and putting up with. Now think about it. You and I have sometimes a really hard time putting up with each other. And we're all imperfect. God's perfect. And yet think about all that God puts up with. And God, listen, God is not this critical, nitpicky, coming at us every day with, and he could, oh my goodness, every second, God could go, oh, jump, oh, jump, oh, yeah, jab. oh. <laughs> And the reason I say that is I want you to read these first couple verses in Romans 2 that we haven't got to yet. Where Paul says, therefore, you are without excuse, whoever you are, when you judge someone else, for on whatever grounds you judge another, you condemn yourself because you who judge practice the same things." Now, listen, this is not this kind of message. The Bible doesn't teach us we shouldn't be judges as Christians. We should. But there's certain things we should judge in certain ways we should judge. But God wants us to use judgment every day. If we don't, we're going to get in trouble real quick. But here he's more talking about hypocrisy, the fact that it's easy for us to criticize something in someone else that we also have in our own lives. In fact, sometimes, isn't it true that the thing that so irritates us about someone else is because we deal with it, too? That's what really irritates us. And he says in verse two, now we know that God's judgment is in accordance with truth against those who practice such things. And who do you think, whoever you are, when you judge those who practice such things and you do them yourself? In other words, Paul's saying, "Look, even though we're imperfect, it's real easy for us, even as Christians, to be so hypercritical of each other, and you just sit back and pick each other apart and be nitpicky." And then he begins in verse four by saying, "God's perfect. God's not that way with us. God lets a lot of stuff slide. God lets a lot of stuff go because God being God and us being who we are, God could literally spend every waking minute of our lives going up, you you know. But he doesn't do that. He's forbearing. He puts up with an awful lot from us. Do we realize the wealth that we have when we have a God who treats us this way? And then he says in verse 4, our God is also very patient with us. The word literally means long fused with people. And he asks us to be this way with each other. But he says, do you realize, Paul says, the long fuse that God has with you? And Paul's saying, if that doesn't move you, if you don't value God's patience, His forbearance, His kindness in your life, because notice what he goes on to say, and yet you do not know, you do not perceive, you willfully ignore that God's kindness, His benevolence, should lead you, should move us to repentance above everything else. See, from God's point of view, He knows that for many people, the prospect of future judgment and accountability will never move a human heart. It's like, eh. It's like people are today. I know I broke the law. You know, it doesn't matter about breaking laws and breaking rules and all that and what punishment or whatever they're going to get. Now, again, we need to have that in our society or else it's total anarchy. And we need to have that in our homes or it's total anarchy. There needs to be discipline. There needs to be accountability. The book of Proverbs is filled with advice for parents about the necessity of discipline in children's lives. And God is the same way. The writer of Hebrews says he loves those, or he corrects those he loves. But Paul is saying that even more so than accountability, even more so than being motivated by maybe relationships being stronger and better in my life. And even more than, than, than the reward that I will get both now and in eternity, Paul is saying the one thing that should always move us, that should melt our hearts, that should, that should change our way of thinking about things, which is what the word repentance really means, is when we begin to recognize, acknowledge, and contemplate and really carefully consider how God treats us how kind He is, how patient He is, how forbearing and long-suffering He is with us. And Paul is basically saying here, if that doesn't melt you, if that doesn't move you, then you're pretty much immovable. Which is what he goes on to say in verse 5. He says, but because of your stubbornness, your calloused obstinate hardness is what that word means and your unrepentant heart an unreasonable unyielding in other words i refuse to change i don't care what god is saying to me i don't care how god speaks to me i don't care what the prospects of this and that are i don't care what positive motivation god lays in my path and what negative motivation in my path i I refuse to change. Paul says, if a human being can't be moved by how God treats them every day, if they fail to recognize the wealth of that, then he says, there's very little, very little hope. Because that's where it all starts. Got to tell you this story. Just certain things are hitting me now at this stage in my life, obviously, and many of you know I'm getting ready to be a grandparent pretty soon. Talk about getting your heart just melted the other day. I got to tell you this story. I'm sitting in a coffee shop, just a change of scenery from the house where I'm studying. I got my Bible and I got my cup of coffee and inbounds this father with these two little girls, cute little girls. I think one was about four. The other one was two. You could tell the one that was four, she was just, you know, she was just very outgoing and all that. So I looked at her and made eye contact and smiled and she smiled back. And then she looks at me. It's a crowded coffee shop. And just as loud as you please and just everything. She says, do you know where I'm going today? I'm going to grandma's. And everybody knows. Oh, and I'm just like, you know, my lips starting to quiver and I'm like. Oh my goodness, you know, that's so cute. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, that little girl got to me. That little girl moved me in some way. And what Paul's saying is, why don't we let God do that? And do we really appreciate the God that we have? And the fact that even though He's perfect in every way, and we fall short so often from who we should be, that He always treats us, always treats us better than what we deserve. Now here's the challenge, even for us as Christians. Because we live in a world today that is dominated by a philosophy of entitlement. That is dominated by people who are ungrateful and unthankful and unappreciative of what they do have. And that mindset has creeped in to the church and even into Christians And part of why we don't value and treasure the God that we have and how He treats us every day is because we've started to feel like we're entitled. And then we start to get very ungrateful and unthankful and unappreciative and our whole bent of our mindset becomes what we don't have and how God somehow has given us a raw deal and all of this. And that totally destroys the impact that the nature and character of God is supposed to have in our lives. Because Paul is saying that if nothing else ever moves us, if nothing else ever brings us to a place of surrender... A place where we are willing to change. A place where we are willing to add what God is asking us to add to our lives. Or getting rid of what God is asking us to get rid of. And at all times too, based on last week, He'll give us the power to do it. But sometimes it's not so much that we don't know we've got the power to do it, as much as we really don't have the want to. Then Paul is saying, you want the want to? Then value The kindness of God in your life. Value his forbearance. Value his patience. Because I'll say it again. God always treats every human being better than what we deserve. And Paul says when we cease to value that when we cease to look at that in our lives as an abundant treasure that we carry around every day and that we are just rich because we've got that kind of God in our lives treating us like that every day rather than like we deserve. Paul says it's a good day and it should lead us to repentance today I don't know what change God wants to bring about in your life but I know God wants to do a work in Jeff's life and I hope that beyond everything else if it's not future accountability and relationships and reward that melts my heart I hope that what will bring me to a place where I'll say yes to God and no to self is when I begin to think about the abundant treasure and wealth of his kindness, forbearance, and patience in my life. I look back on my life and go, God, I don't deserve any that I have got from you. If you gave Jeff Royce what Jeff Royce deserved... I wouldn't be here. And by the way, on a side note, in two weeks, my mom shows up here. I got to start behaving myself again. <laughs> Let's let God move us today. Let's pray. God, we thank you. And that, that seems so inadequate when we really begin to contemplate and consider and weigh in our lives who you are to us and how you treat us, that even though you are this holy, perfect, sinless God, you deal with such imperfect human beings every day. And yet you do it with such patience, you do it with such forbearance, you do it with such kindness and gentleness. May we be moved by you today. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Hey, before we sing this last song, you can stand. I want to share these thoughts with you.